and welcome back to Story Collider's Stories of COVID-19 series. I'm your host, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, and today we're bringing you part two of our episode on connections. If you missed part one, we shared a story from computational biologist Brandon Ogbono about how he's managing to connect with people in his life through a computer screen. We also spoke with neuroscientist Danielle Schiller about how these new ways of communicating are affecting our brains. And now we have two more stories for you about the unconventional ways we're finding connection during this time. Our next story comes from psychologist Shreya Varma. It was recorded in her home in India. Because we weren't able to ship equipment to Shreya, her story is recorded using her smartphone microphone, and we appreciate your understanding with regard to the audio quality. I work as a clinical psychologist in a hospital in Delhi, in India. And uh, I remember when COVID was declared a pandemic, I used to actually still take the public transport. And I remember on the day that it was declared a pandemic by the UN, I was taking the public transport and I was surrounded by people. And I was thinking, okay, I definitely shouldn't be getting close to them. I should probably like stand up, sit down. So I'm thinking, should I sit down? Should I stand up? And uh, I'm thinking, okay, my father told me there's this man who tested positive who takes the same route. So I'm thinking I definitely can't touch anything right now. I somehow survived that metro ride and I get to the hospital and then I'm thinking, okay, now I need to touch the door handle. And then I open the door and then I greet everybody. I quickly go up to wash my hands. And I've been told that singing happy birthday twice covers 20 to 30 seconds. So I'm singing happy birthday to you. And I'm washing my hands. And then after that, I go to my room. And suddenly I'm sitting in my room thinking, what if I catch COVID and pass it on to my family members? Or what if I catch COVID and pass it on to my patient? Or what if my patient catches COVID from the hospital? Or what if they catch it and then they end up infecting me like the clinic just felt septic and I just did not know how to do this anymore. So I quickly called up my clinical supervisors and I told them, I asked them, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And both of them suggested that I move my practice online and that I start practicing remotely. So I decided to send all my patients a message. I told them that we'll be doing this online and that... I'll send you a Zoom link. And that was a sense of relief because I didn't have to go to the hospital anymore. But suddenly I was thinking, how will I practice online? And how will this turn out to be? Like, I had no idea. And I am somebody that really uses my room and the setting a lot. Like, to give you an example, in my room on my table, I have like, a tissue box and like I have a pen stand and I have like a lot of figurines and generally I ask my support staff to keep a water bottle and like this one time one of my patients came in and uh, she came in and immediately she started drinking water right out of the water bottle and that really caught my eye so I was thinking what made her do this you know And it's something that stayed with me while I worked with her. And another time, like I had a patient who messaged me and said that she'll arrive late and she'll reach by so-and-so time. 
but when so and so time came she actually did not enter so i went out i asked her to come in and then as soon as i did that i was thinking what made me get up and go outside and ask her to come in and what kind of a person does she evoke in her relationships so these are the two questions that i work with that why does the patient say this and do this and why is the therapist saying this and doing this so there's a real tangibility to my clinic there's a real sense of holding to objects that we use and suddenly when i was practicing online i just felt like i don't have my senses anymore you know like and i'm somebody that's always like to like observe things i've always like to look at things like when i was really young when i was like 13 years old we used to have poems in school but we only used to have half of them like um uh ode to the west wind was one poem that we had but we only had half of it we didn't have the entire poem so me and my friend we actually printed out the entire poem we skipped lectures to read it to think about why was the wind being personified why was the winter's wind being spoken of why was the spring not being spoken of and so when i was practicing online it just felt hard like i actually remember one day when i was ready to do these zoom sessions i asked my supervisor you know how am i supposed to sit can i put my chair at an angle do i not like sit straight she said you sit however you want to you know and i remember one day one of my patients used the link came online and i'm staring at a screen so it feels funny cuz i feel like i'm staring at a 2d image and then she comes online and she tells me i don't want to be here and i'm thinking hmm okay firstly i'm staring at just an image and then this image is telling me i don't want to be here and then she just kept like staring at me so initially in the session if my patient says something i just try and process it i try and think about it without like before saying anything so i'm trying to stay with it but i can see that her piercing vision is like seeping into my skin and i feel like this is really scary so after some time passed i actually decided to tell her this is disturbing and right then the call dropped and i realized the screen was frozen and i was going crazy thinking this is disturbing this is scary i don't know she must be so disturbed you know but i think that's the thing that it is really disturbing that we're doing this online and it's not the same but it's interesting because when i've started working online i've started to notice some things that really stand out for me like i remember once uh i had a session with one of my patients and uh, he came online and again he used this zoom link came online and then we speak for about like 10 minutes and then after about 10 minutes he says okay wait i'll just be right back and then i can hear him talking to his family members about tea and how many spoons of sugar he wants and i'm thinking ha huh, this is unusual never something that would happen in my clinic 
am I supposed to listen to this? Am I intruding into his space? <laughs> I can hear some conversation about sugar. This is so odd. I don't know how to make sense of this. But suddenly I found myself thinking that it's interesting that within the realm of this new clinic, there were actually two voices. One that belonged to my patient and one that belonged to the family member. And he came back and he also started talking to me about how during this pandemic, he's also living at home and he's having to struggle with his voice colluding with other voices and how other voices at home are also demanding that they exist. And this is something that he's struggled with, but this is more prominent now. And I think we're all kind of going through this. We're all living at home, having to renegotiate boundaries because we're always home. But what's really interesting is that we were having sounds. There were sounds to be able to communicate your inner world to the other person. And I think we're always doing this. I remember another time I had a patient who would always sit in front of like this painting and it was like a really dark painting with dark blue and black strokes and she always sat uh, with really light colored clothes and this was something that was repeating session after session and the contrast of the light colored clothes against the dark painting really stood out for me. And one day, actually, she came online and she started talking to me about how when she was younger, she had painted this painting and it's really a beautiful part of her life. And it's interesting because also in the sessions, we were beginning to go inside a room in her own mind where she felt unsafe, where she felt threatened, where she felt she entered some area she shouldn't have and it was making her feel not safe and I think that's the contrast that stood out that here was this beautiful painting outside but there was also this space which was coming from inside which felt really threatening and I feel like now that I've been working online that this language it almost feels like actually a new language it's like a whole new language with its own alphabets, with its own images, with its own sounds. Like when you read a poem uh, in between two lines, sometimes there's a comma, sometimes there's a full stop, sometimes there's just like a gap, but that gap is called a caesura. And uh, I feel like this language is also providing like a caesura of its own. And I've become curious about learning this new language. And I wonder if the connection is dropping a lot or if my patient has technological handicaps. I wonder what that translates into in this new language. And I think I'm realizing now that while we're going through this period of, you know, this traumatic period of living through a pandemic, where we're having to watch people die, where we're living in isolation and we're really alone, what we cannot take for granted is the fact that we have this language at our disposal, which is also helping us remain connected and stay together. Thank you. That was Shreya Varma. 
Shreya is a clinical psychologist practicing in New Delhi, India. She wholeheartedly believes John Keating when he says poetry, beauty, romance, and love are what we are all alive for. She has extensive experience in the healthcare industry and primarily works with adults in her private practice. Before we move on to our final story of connections, I want to remind everyone yet again that Story Collider hosts monthly online storytelling workshops. If you're looking to develop your storytelling and communication skills or find a new community during the pandemic, I highly recommend checking them out. Registrations are now open for January courses. Find out more at storyclider.org workshops. And if you're listening to the series thinking that you have a story about how the pandemic has affected you in a big or small way, get in touch. You can send your story pitches to stories at storyclider.org or you can pitch through the form on our website. Our last story on the theme of connections is from storyteller Ivy Eisenberg. This story was recorded at her home in White Plains, New York. It's February 29th of this year, BC, before COVID. And I'm off to New Jersey, 100 miles away to my dad's 93rd birthday. He and my mom now live in my sister's living room. My little sister's a doctor, so they have basically built-in urgent care. My oldest sister's a project manager and shows up to family gatherings carrying a portable file box, trying in vain to keep our chronically disorganized family in line. And my brother, he's the prince among the girls. He's the only guy. And he and my dad are like best buds. They work together for something like 40 years. I have another sister who's in Europe. She's an opera singer. She's the exotic one. So me, I'm the middle child, and I'm sort of the troubled one, the also-ran. And in the order of importance, I'm like fourth, maybe fifth, depending on how you count my sister in Europe. And we all call ourselves the kids, even though we range in ages from 50 to 70 years old. We get along really well. We're all visiting my parents all the time. So today for my dad's party, I bring the bagels, lox, and cream cheese. My older sister brings some nice spreads. My brother brings beverages. My niece makes homemade birthday cake like she always does. My mom's been under the weather. She has COPD and she's on oxygen and there might be fluid on her lungs. And my dad, he's also not well. He's got chest pains and he's been sleeping sitting up in his recliner. My dad's recliner sits right in the middle of my sister's house, right in between her former living room and her kitchen. And it's this ugly, murky blue color the kind of blue that goes with absolutely nothing in anybody's house, let alone my sister's house, which is all earth tones. And my dad sits there all day, playing with his computer, doing puzzles, reading books, and just sitting there observing the goings on and with running commentary. Next to the recliner is a stack of Walmart shipping boxes, which he uses as a side table to stack up his junk. He's got books, he's got puzzles, his baseball hats. God bless my sister for letting him live there, because that pile around his chair is growing taller and wider every day. I always work really hard to find a great birthday gift for my dad. I'm still seeking his approval, even though I'm 63 years old. 
This year, I get him a chess set where the two sides are Republican and Democrat. We're all hyped up on politics. Thankfully, we're all on the same side. I also re-gift him a ratty book of my original parody songs from 50 years ago. And just like he did then, and just like he does whenever I bring him my original parody song sheets, my dad at 93 years old sings all the songs with me in his off-key voice and his Brooklyn accent. The first week of March, I traveled down to D.C. for my day job. And by the next weekend, pandemic panic has exploded. The world has shut down. I stopped going to visit my parents. I stopped going anywhere. Everything's canceled. At the end of March, I get a fever and it lasts for 12 days. The family is terrified, texting me nonstop for updates. I get a COVID test and it comes back negative. I try to organize Zoom meetings with my family, but nobody is interested. It's too chaotic. My mom, at 93 years old, is in denial that she's gone gray and doesn't want to see herself on screen. And my dad just has no patience to fiddle with the Zoom app on his Chromebook. My parents are both hard of hearing and they refuse to wear their hearing aids. So my only communication with them consists of phone calls where I have to shout maybe three sentences and then my sister sort of interprets what's going on. On April 23rd, my dad is checked into the hospital. Now at any other time, we'd all be running down there, 13 or 14 of us filling the hospital room, taking over the family waiting area, messing up the lounge with the Chinese food. But with COVID, no one can visit. My brother has had to leave him at the front and he has to go into the hospital by himself. All we can do is take turns bothering the nurses at the nursing station by calling in. It's ridiculous. We're texting each other updates, his blood pressure reading, his chest x-rays. Luckily, my little sister actually works at this hospital on the weekend, so she can give us a little bit of insight. My dad tests negative for COVID-19. We're surprised and not surprised. He does, they think, have pneumonia and he has chronic heart failure, which is very serious, but he's bounced back from far worse. I mean, he's had strokes and loss of his kidney function, five or six operations, always bounce back. And of course, now it seems he's starting to improve. He wants out of there. He feels really guilty that he's escaped COVID-19. And he really feels guilty that he's occupying a hospital bed that other people really need. Now he's pick, not picking up his phone, though. Then my dad calls my brother at home. Dad wants the nurse to come into his room and she's not answering his buzzer. So my brother calls the nursing station. Oh, good. Dad's complaining. He's on the mend. But the next day, my dad tells my sister, the doctor, that he wants to die. And he checks himself out of the hospital. Now, I didn't think he would ever die, let alone ask to die. But on Sunday, he calls me up. He's called each of us to say, ah, I want to die. What do you say? What do I say? I can't say nonsense, snap out of it, buddy, or you're getting better. 
I can't say, well, okay, let's get to it. All I can say is something like, I hear you. I, I honor your feelings. I'm on my way. Fuck COVID. I pack up my face masks, my hand sanitizer, wipes, paper towels, nitrile gloves. I pack up Tylenol and acid reflux meds. I put on a rain poncho from a whale watch and I wear plastic bags to cover my shoes and I make the hundred mile trip to my sister's. The New Jersey Turnpike is eerily empty of traffic. Like it's the end of days, there's nobody on the roads. I arrive at my sister's in my makeshift hazmat getup. Everyone's there. My dad hasn't changed his mind. Although he thinks that the next step is for us to just take him to the doctor to die and poof, it'll be all over. Because when Louis Eisenberg says he wants something, we are supposed to just snap to and make it happen. We set up my dad in in-home hospice. He's in a hospital bed in my sister's former dining room. I take a hotel room nearby. The hotel is hermetically sealed behind plexiglass and plastic and I have to pass my credit card and my ID through this long tube to the reception desk. All the common areas are shut down. Our charge is to keep my dad comfortable, and the hospice organization gives us a locked box that's called a comfort kit. Cynical people would call it drugged up. What an incredible gift that dad is home with all of us, except my sister in Europe, who couldn't get over. My doctor sister dispenses the medicine. My older project manager sister arranges paperwork and signatures. And I spend as much time as I can by my dad's side on the tan couch, just watching him breathe. Though that might not seem like a sacrifice, that tan couch is so slippery that when I sleep over one night, I have to hold on to the back all night so I don't slip off the couch and crash onto the hospital bed. My dad was never much for words. He usually grunts, and we would know what he's saying. Like a single grunt, like rah, 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 means pass the salt at the dinner table, or man, you did good. That means you've done good. Now he's not talking at all. He's not even criticizing. He's not cheering us on. He's not clowning around with his grandkids. He's just inside his own head making his own peace with whatever it is he needs before he passes. I'm the middle of five kids, and it's hard for me to get a word in edgewise, but now at 63 years old, I feel like I have not left anything unsaid. I have no regrets about how we honored my dad in his fight to stay alive all those years, or how he has chosen to die at this moment. He passes away on May 7th. My dad's ugly blue recliner chair sits idle right in its spot. His Chromebook, baseball caps, books, puzzles, all still stacked there on top of the Walmart box. The chest set I got him leans against the chair, unopened. My mom walks by, sits on the chair for a bit, surveying the house and catching her breath on her way to her chair in the kitchen. I like to think that my dad is still there, directing traffic, telling his kids they'll be all right, and filling this world with hope and light.
is Ivy Eisenberg. Ivy is an award-winning humor writer, storyteller, and comedian. She's performed comedy, solo shows, and stories throughout the greater New York City area and in Washington, D.C., including The Perfect Liars Club, Mistakes Were Made, Generation Women, Mostly True Stories, The Artichoke, Pros of Pie, Big Herbs, and many more. Ivy MCs and co-produces Solo Heroes, a quarterly event that features excerpts of solo shows in progress, and Story Boom, a Westchester, New York-based storytelling event. The Story Collider is so grateful to Shreya and Ivy for sharing their stories. Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast series was produced by me, Aaron Barker, with assistance from Story Collider's Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg and Senior Podcast Editor Jun Chen. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board, our operations manager, Lindsay Cooper, and our new interim executive director, Leslie Griesbach-Schultz, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's installment were produced by Nissa Greenberg and Paula Croxon, respectively. The theme music is by Eva Gertz of the Fulton Street Music Group. Stay tuned for our next episode, Home, on Friday. Until then, this is Story Collider signing off. Stay safe, wash your hands, wear a mask, love each other. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.